Hi, I'm Harriet, a mental health professional and educator, and this is Dawn Breaks, the podcast all about finding hope and maybe also healing after reaching rock bottom. Welcome to this week's episode of Dawn Breaks the Podcast and I am delighted to welcome Sarah who's joining me today. We're going to talk to Sarah a little bit about her story which I'm really interested to know a bit more about so welcome. Thank you, thank you so much for having me on today. Mm, Excited, we've got lots to, to think and talk about. So I think you know a bit already about how the podcast works, but just so that the listeners know, what I like to do is meet you where you're at today, and then we talk a little bit about your experiences, and then eventually towards the end of the podcast, we talk a bit more about what you do now. So I won't give you a big introduction to start, but let's start with how you are today. How are you? Are you doing okay? I'm doing well. I'm a little bit giddy in that I have. <laughs> so tired yesterday got to early evening and I was like yes I have all the energy (laughs) and rode on that till I suddenly realized no I'm a Mm grown-up I have a full day of work I need to go to bed and you're talking to me just after I've finished eight and a half hours of work but it's been really kind of energizing work so I've still got a little bit of of that giddiness good oh that's good that's in a happy place I hope that the um we have like an uplifting conversation so you feel in a good base when we finish that would be good okay so yeah I think the the trickiest bit is we start at a place that was really really more hopeless or difficult for you so I wonder if there was a time when you did feel very low or you felt very hopeless that you'd be happy to talk to us about or share with us absolutely and I think it's part of human experience we go through a lot of our life anticipating that a good life is a happy life when actually it doesn't always work out like that way Mm. people carry trauma so for me in my early 20s a friend had a cancer diagnosis and age 27 he passed away still makes me feel very sad and it was very traumatic so at the time he was terminally ill I was working for the NHS Mm. full-time looking after other people I was visiting him in hospital whenever Mm. I could and my partner had a condition that was being investigated which meant that we had intermittent trips to A&E and I just kind of went well I'm going to crack on and look after everybody so I was in full driven mode around going and doing all the practical stuff I was one of the few people that knew how serious the cancer was And my friend at the time had shown me an x-ray and I think he'd shown it to me so that I could instill hope for him. And instead, I think I had a conversation with him, which was, what do you want to do about your treatment? Because chemotherapy is not a good quality of life. What are you talking to your doctors about? So I was having very difficult conversations, which Mm. weren't necessarily what he wanted or needed Mm. from me. But I thought I'm the only person that's probably giving him permission to kind of explore what he needs from the last few months of his life. So did that and then almost anticipated that once he passed away for a few weeks I know this sounds really ridiculous but you're kind of like right he's passed away my partner's had an operation Mm. so you kind of expect life to go back to kind of just not necessarily as it was Mm. but just feeling how you usually feel and I was exhausted and I did not give myself permission to feel exhausted Mm. so it probably took two years of me ignoring this feeling and just kind of getting more and more fatigued and if you'd have asked me at that time what I was feeling I think Mm. I'd numbed myself so much I couldn't name what the emotion was 
I didn't really think I was having many thoughts. It felt quite robotic, you know, going to work, coming home. I ended up having a panic attack in work because I hadn't done something to my usual high standard. And my manager had gone, that's not like you. And I kind of went to the toilets, hyperventilated for a bit and went, no, she's right. That isn't like me. Mm. What's going on? Let's have a look at this. And I went, I've got to sign myself off sick, go to the doctor. So I was like, I'm a mental health professional. And even at that point, I didn't use the word depression. It was mm. just too, too big. Mm-hmm. But went to the doctors and went, give me the antidepressants. I'll take these, see what they do. They didn't really do much for me, which for some people are really effective for mm. me. It wasn't what I needed. Mm. I think what I was having was a very healthy, usual response to a trauma that I'd ignored yeah. for a very yeah. long yeah. length of time. And I ended up Velcro to the couch watching Jeremy Kyle for six months. And you know you're not in a good place oh, when gosh. you've got the party bag of crisps out <laughs> and you're just sat on the couch mm, watching yeah. that level of nonsense. Right. I remember a time when I just wanted to mong out, like I didn't want to be alone with my thoughts. And so you'd watch whatever was on because that at least was filling your mind with something that wasn't those really difficult thoughts and I mean that's just incredible what a difficult experience because one thing I really loved about what you said there is that you like me are a mental health professional and yet we don't always see things coming and you knew you'd been through this really difficult experience but it didn't necessarily mean you knew that that's what was going on when things started to crumble when you know when it was the sort of classic straw that breaks the donkey's back you know that you things just started to crumble and you felt felt it go but you still weren't ready to look at what was really going on maybe absolutely I wasn't looking at it I couldn't see that it was coming because I just put it in a box Mm. and gone I cannot look at this I could talk very theoretically to my patients around their mental health around what you could do to thrive but I could not feel it for myself there's this kind of expectation about kind of being this robotic mental health Mm -hmm. practitioner that goes in and kind of supports other people and yeah not even do as I say I just don't think I had the insight into my own experience Mm. of what I was feeling right and that's something there that you and I have connected on already before where you you kind of go through the motions and you feel maybe a sense of shame that you might not have it in the perfect way because you are an expert on mental health and yet you know we we aren't we can't be objective about ourselves we can't be outside our head we can only do that for other people. We're not able to do that for ourselves. And, and sometimes you're right in the thick of it. And again, sort of returning to that whole idea of, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I'm going to look the other way. I'm going to look the other way until it's finally, whatever it is you're avoiding gets so big that there is nowhere else for you to look. And that's the moment where you, yeah, you have to kind of allow something in. And perhaps, yeah, that's that's kind of what was was going on there for you but what a difficult time and you said you were off work for six months it was three months then mm. think if my my memory is still quite hazy around mm. this because of just not allowing things to register I think I attempted to go back and then took another couple of months mm. off before having a graded return and I think like you said there's a certain level of shame is mm. a really I think valid word to say about it that as someone who prides themselves in being, you know, really understanding around what mental health is, yeah. to end up in a position where you feel quite disabled by it yourself. Mm. And then you kind of start to question, am I good at my job? Do I yeah. know what I'm doing? And obviously this yeah. is depression talking. It's that mm-hmm. very classic self-talk around it, that kind of I'm an imposter yeah, yeah, in imposter this syndrome absolutely you know all those things kick in and mm. I think particularly with not every type of mental health professional but certainly in the education I had as an occupational therapist 
it was very theoretical and mm. there was a lot of clinical reasoning but the clinical reasoning was always about what's happening for the person that you're working with rather than the reflection of what's what are you experiencing as you're working with that person mm. and that relational mm-hmm. element wasn't included in my education at any point right because that's so much of it is what you're feeling from the other person because it's impossible yeah. to do the kind of work in mental health where you're working with someone without taking some of that with you like you you have to have really clear boundaries you know I I find I have to have such clear boundaries because I only have a certain amount of capacity and then the rest of it I need to keep for myself because otherwise I can't keep myself well you know and it's a really difficult balance to give people the level of support that you do and especially when you're someone you know as conscientious as you who wants to do it as best that they possibly can that it does take so much of your energy but it's really interesting what you said there about kind of like the theoretical as well because I do feel like so much of the learning is about the mind and what the mind is doing and the way we're thinking and how the brain is impacting the body and so much of the the real work for me in mental health almost feels like it's getting down in the mud in the feelings like it's not it's not up in the head it's what's what are you feeling in your body and that's almost what it feels a bit like when we refuse to see something we're refusing to feel that thing because we don't we're not ready for that whatever it is yet and it's that sort of ability to disconnect the mind from the body and then how do we reconnect them again and do we even want to you know because it's a hard yeah. a hard it's process. really daunting ask mm-hmm. as you've experienced yourself that mm-hmm. ability to allow yourself to look at what's going on is giving yourself permission to be vulnerable to find things yes. hard to look at some potentially dark things or things mm-hmm. you don't want to you kind of train yourself really well in not looking at mm-hmm. so to open that Pandora's box can feel daunting and I remember I can't remember who I said it to at the time but I just remember saying the world's spinning I want to get off but I'm really scared if I stop I will implode right it very right. much felt mm. that I am desperately holding on with every oh. bit of energy yeah and it's frightening. Well, and it's, oh, what happens if I, in my head, give in to mm, it in inverted yeah. commas? Yeah, I remember that something very similar to what you're describing there of just the fear that if I open Pandora's box, like you describe it, it's a really good metaphor for it. If I open Pandora's box, it might swallow me up. Like I might not, it's not about whether I can close it again. <laughs> it's whether I can yeah. actually stay up whether I can withstand the kind of pressure of looking in at those sort of dark places that are frightening and scary and the the really interesting and transformational thing is that the healing comes through looking but it's really frightening to start and it's almost like how do I even begin so and it's that skill as well because it's actually a skill to look and It sounds like very similar to my experience. I've never really had to look. So I've had a very privileged life in terms of I haven't had too many awful things happen to me. So when you experience something that is devastating, actually having the language to express it, the Mm -hmm. ability to know how to feel it and how to, I was going to say cope with it, but actually my position on that's changed. But how to kind of live with it yeah. and experience it. And maybe feel it in a safe way, in a way that you yeah. feel nurtured enough that it's okay, rather than sort of on the edge of the world, you know, it might not be okay, which is a huge difference. So so what did you do? How did you, what were the first, the very first things that you did that made you begin to feel like it might be okay to look or it might be okay to experience some of this? So my profession's occupational therapy were taught to break down activity into little chunks to mm-hmm. look at grading things. So, you know, start at the simplest step. Yeah. And yeah. I very much felt for me of like, I'm not leaving the house I need to leave the house. What can I do that will be a first step? And I think for me, the first part of my recovery was very much around me giving myself permission 
to make what felt like the teeniest of tiny steps. So for some people that might be around, you know, showering and getting out of bed. For me, I was doing those things, but then getting as far as the couch and getting stuck. So my next step was I've got to open the front door and go outside. But there was still that little bit of shame around it, around, mm. well, I can't just be seen to be going. I don't I don't know who I thought would be looking at me. I can't be seen to be struggling to go out my front door. Mm. What can I go out my front door for? Mm. And at the bottom of our road, and it was literally, I turned left out my house to a minute's walk to the road and turn left again. And then there's a letterbox there. So I was like, that's a really good starting point. I haven't got anything to post, but I can walk to that letterbox and then walk back. Without feeling that it... Without know. feeling self-conscious. Yes, because um, yeah. that's so, so big, that there, right there, that self-consciousness is massive when you've got really, you know, heavy, intrusive, dark thoughts going on because you're already already massively self-critical. So then you don't need any extra, you know, so having some small purpose. Okay, that's that's amazing. So yeah. letterbox and home. Yeah. Your first yeah. Go to the letterbox, get home. Mm-hmm. And I did it. Mm-hmm. And I don't really recall the rest of the day after I did it. But I do remember it must have been a day or two later thinking, I need to do that again. Mm. So it was a baby step, but a really important Yeah. One. Yeah. Okay. And so then what happened then? Did you make it something you needed to do every other day or did you then extend I, where you went or what was next? I, I didn't make it kind of very structured in my mind, but mm. it, it was very much I was holding an awareness of I need to keep doing this. So I'd go out and then I'd be like, well, just go a little bit further because just past the letterbox, there's a road that I can turn around and do mm. a little loop round. Mm-hmm. So I'd do that and I'm like, well, I can go to the chippy. <laughs> the kind of yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'll, I'll go get some chips for lunch. That's a good reward. So, <laughs> so, so I was like, go to the chippy. And then it was like, I could really do with going to the supermarket. You know, my partner doesn't drive. I'm the one that does the shop. And there was a supermarket literally five, 10 minute walk away, but mm. I'd been driving to it, mm. going in mm. and then getting out as quick as I could because this was slightly pre-online delivery so I was still kind of going out for that but it felt very task orientated very numb it wasn't anything to do with my recovery it was just oh we need foods in the house functioning thing yeah functioning thing so I was like I'm walking to the Sainsbury's I may as well go so we go to the supermarket but I don't need something from the supermarket every day and I was like well just keep walking and not far past the Sainsbury's there was a gym so I walked to it one day and I don't go to the gym I was rubbish at PE in school I'd signed up for a gym when I'd first qualified and never used it I've got no kind of frame (laughs) of reference as to what's doing a gym but there's the mental health bit of my head going you keep telling people exercise is good for them and you're not <laughs> doing any. Right, right. <laughs> so I was like, well, I could just go in. I'm not committing to anything, but I could have a look around and see what it's like. So I went up to a desk and said, probably very quietly, can I have a look around the gym? And, you know, this confident, slim, beautiful 20-something-year-old <laughs> was like, let me show you around. And this is this and this is this. And here's some free day passes um, oh. I was like oh thank you and I said I'm probably not going to use these but thank you very much but I was like oh it was quite a quiet gym it felt quite safe and I got home and the next day I thought I'm going to use this gym pass even if I just go and do, use the cross trainer which is a piece of equipment that I can use I don't need to get sweaty I can just go on it for 10 minutes and come back mm. so went to the gym used the cross trainer and then they went oh how are you getting on with your day's trial and then their evil sales technique worked oh, and no. uh, like so I signed up you know when you kind of just sign up without really thinking about, about what you're it. doing yeah 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 and then they booked me in for an induction and they were like right come back tomorrow and we'll write a little program for you to do at the gym I'm thinking oh 
again I probably wasn't thinking that much I was like yeah okay so again woke up next morning with a bit more of a purpose of oh mm-hmm. I've got something to do my expectation about what I could do in a gym's pretty low but let's go along and it just became a really nice habit that I was going out the house most days and then they kept showing me the class timetable and it was full of strange words like zumba and (laughs) um, body pump and I don't know what any of those mean and I asked a girl at the reception desk what one of them was and she was like Zumba's a bit like dancing the ball. I can't think of anything worse. (laughs) (laughs) This sounds awful. And then I was at the gym one time and I bumped into someone who used to be one of my students. Oh, wow. Like a mature student. Mm. And she went, oh, come along. Like she's a lovely, warm person. She'd qualified. She's done fabulous. She's like, oh, come along to um, Zumba with me. She was like, it'll be funny. So took quite a bit to go to the reception desk and book that again, free <laughs> online bookings. But I was like, oh, I was like, oh, I've got a friend there. We can she knows how clumsy I am. We can have a bit of a laugh and a joke yeah. about yeah. it. And just all these things that I think if I'd have said I'm not a gym person, I'm not mm. doing that, because mm. I had to find myself mm. as someone that wasn't a gym person. Or if I'd kind of gone with really high expectations about what. I should be doing I don't think I'd have stuck it out but because my expectation was really low and the value in going was more around me getting out the house right right so it's an achievement I've done something with purpose today yeah yeah and it that just had a domino effect around I was like okay I always say one of my trigger foods is crisp sandwiches. I am not judging anyone that has a crisp (laughs) sandwich because they are beautiful, beautiful things. But I know for me that if I got a bag of crisps and I then reach for two slices of white bread and some ketchup, I'm not actually doing that out of enjoyment. I'm doing it because I'm not liking how I'm feeling and I'm trying to numb it with food. I started to recognise that pattern that there were certain foods that mm-hmm. were around unhealthy comfort. There's nothing right. wrong with comfort eating, but I was like, actually, this is me trying to numb something that I need to feel. So right. I started to think more carefully about the choices I was making around foods, not labelling them good or bad, but just kind mm-hmm. of questioning when I'm reaching for that, what yeah. is it that's motivating me right. to go towards that food? Like, is it hungry or am I feeling like I want some nurture right now? And that's yeah. actually what I want. Right. I'm with you. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's when I started looking at how I was feeling at right. that point. Right. So actually it wasn't, it wasn't when you were feeling really, really low and it wasn't when you began to think I need to do something and you started those baby steps. It was when you were beginning to sort of feel maybe a bit better or you were able to do more. And then you started to look at other things. So that's really interesting because I bet there are so many people who can recognize that comfort eating. And it might not be crisp sandwiches. It might be, for me, it's sweet things, but also sweet things that I'm not even enjoying. That's how I know it's the difference between whether I actually want this or whether I'm, I'm sort of, it's almost like stuffing, you're trying to kind of do something instead of thinking or instead of being present with, those thoughts okay so then talk us through what happened next you had a look at your eating and then you realized that there was something else going on here and you were needing something else what happened from then so while all this was going on I'd accessed some counseling through work and my experience of it was quite traumatic they'd let me basically sit in the room for an hour and cry and never challenge why I was crying or try and bring out anything more so Mm -hmm. it'd be kind of six weeks of me going in then I left that tried to go back to Mm -hmm. it and the second counsellor I had kept calling my friend that had died she and not listening making lots of assumptions around things so I was kind of a bit miffed at mental health profession (laughs) at that point went back to work again low in confidence but it didn't take 
that long to build up a sense of success I had a particularly good supervisor at that point mm. and I think she just got fed up of me asking questions she was like Sarah you know this <laughs> right <okay. laughs> she's like you can do this mm. Mm. so she believed in you. Yeah, yeah like come so, on do it mm. it's like oh yeah okay I can and then um the point where I know that I'm doing well in work is when I start getting angry at injustices and I, I kind of started tapping back into that feeling of anger at certain social injustices that you experience or certain blips in the system and I was like well yeah I'm feeling a bit more like myself but what I did differently was I can continued a really strong routine of going to the gym and it really helped me in terms of my emotional regulation I think there's something very powerful about exercise it does a lot physiologically it impacts on our endocrine or hormonal system it gets the body used to experiencing discomfort mm. which we sometimes I think undervalue as one mm. of the benefits of exercise right. it gets our body used to recovering from stress because if you do an intense exercise your heart rate increases it gets you kind of really pumped up to deal with this threat and then you calm down afterwards mm -hmm. and your body restores itself so we've got mm. this vagal nerve which kind of goes from our stomach to our brain and that activates our rest and digest and I think just that kind of keeping up the movement keeping up this opportunity to feel my body in physical discomfort, but start to get a sense of success about it, noticing, oh, I've suddenly actually realized that I don't trip over my feet in that Zumba routine, or <laughs> I'm not finding going on the cross trainer quite as difficult as I was. How seeking out challenge, like how can I make this a little bit harder for myself? Okay, um, that's really interesting. You said something there that I don't think I've ever heard anyone say before about exercise that, you know, we know that exercise is good because it gives us, you know, endorphins. It makes us feel naturally good and it helps us with so many different things. Also just getting out and doing things helps us feel so much better. And there are so many good reasons to exercise, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about pushing our body a little bit so that it has to recover and so we get used to this idea of recovery because we're obviously not talking about pushing yourself to your limits and and overdoing it but that that little challenge uh, I can relate to it with running where I've just had enough and then I'm like I'm just going to run to that lamppost just that little bit extra that you something about pushing your body you then remind yourself how strong you are and that you actually can and your mental resilience is really strong and you can recover and, and in knowing that it then helps you internally somehow work on that recovery as well. Absolutely. It works on so many layers because it, it works on the confidence layer that you actually see yourself mm, recovering yeah. and experiencing a discomfort and your heart racing and feeling really fatigued and that feeling goes. Mm. So you see that adaptation. Mm -hmm. It works on a hormonal level. During exercise, our cortisol, our stress hormone rises up, but actually after the exercise, it gets dissipated and it actually goes lower than pre-exercise. Yes. So we've got that going on. We often talk about the senses and you know how people can be sensitive to loud noises if they're feeling mm. anxious or get very overwhelmed in visually busy mm -hmm. environments or not like mm. touch. We've got internal senses and one of them is called proprioception, which it's a big fancy word, but it basically means feedback as to mm -hmm. what your body is right. doing. And right. it's your muscles saying this is the position you are sitting, standing, moving yeah. in. That sensation is neurologically calming because if you've got a good sense of what your muscles are doing, your brain is intrinsically knowing that your body is safe. Your arm hasn't been bitten off by a tiger. <laughs> yes. You've got neurologically, there's a level of protection in having good proprioception, good okay. kind of deep pressure and good postural awareness. Right. And gradually through exercising, that is gained. I'm dyspraxic so I've got very poor motor coordination I don't necessarily have a very good sense of 
what my body's doing. I'm constantly mm. bumping into things. I've got bruises. I've got no idea where they've come from. <laughs> that act of building up uh, awareness of what my muscles are doing mm. through just repeated practice, 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 neurologically is calming. At the same time, you're also getting that psychological boost of I can do this plus the endorphins and that feel good mm. factor. Mm. And I never expected to get that as someone who is clumsy, has two left feet, who has a really negative view of what my capabilities in right. exercise would be. Right, right. So there's something really powerful in what you're saying there that the the baby steps are really important, but actually also at the same time having little to no expectation and not necessarily low expectation, but no expectation. So that then whatever you achieve is an achievement. It's good. Yeah. And then also this feeling into your body can actually help you to feel steady and nurtured and calm, which is incredible because if you think about it, we've just got to quieten our minds enough to feel into our fingers and our toes and, and know that we're, we're safe in this moment we're safe and that exactly that's how all it takes like is to feel into your body and know that you're you're okay and there's something about exercise that does that all by itself that you don't even have to do the the mental work in a way it's already working for you I always kind of struggled with mindfulness you know this idea of sitting and meditating for mm. 10 20 minutes I'm an active person who doesn't have a good sense of where my body is and when I sit still I think I very naively came into as many people who came into the idea of mindfulness as oh it's about kind of quieting the mind but in a way that's you know almost controlling it or putting judgment on it which is the exact opposite of what mindfulness right. should be and actually when you're moving and you're in a rhythm you can be really mindful in a moment whilst yeah. you're being active. Yeah. yeah, I actually find that easier personally. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, I do meditate and I do think about being mindful. But actually, when you're you're proactively doing something, an activity of some sort, it's, it's actually easier to sort of focus on that and keep your mind calm or quiet and not busy with thoughts. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Yeah. Okay, so... I'm wondering where's the best place to go next from what you've been talking about. You have spoken about exercise being a really important thing. Mm -hmm. have, there, have there been specific exercises that have really supported you? For me personally, there was, I think, Zumba gave me a sense of community and belonging. That's I'm not that. coordinated. I'll never be a kind of dance teacher, but it challenged my way of thinking because it showed me that I could do something and I could right. enjoy it right. so Zumba although it's not something I currently do it's very important mm. yeah there's definitely a moment. sense of, of community in Zumba yeah. as well I think yeah the other two main things for me are lifting heavy weights mm. it's so good in terms of giving feedback as to what my body's doing it is such a confidence boost to physically feel mm. strong mm -hmm. um, so learning those kind of movements doing something that isn't too complex you know it, it's functional weightlifting you lift something heavy you put it back down again yeah. it's, yeah. It's, it's we talk about breaking things into small steps mm -hmm. it's a really simple idea that is just so powerful and then the third one which I think for me is kind of the marker of my recovery was once I'd been into physical exercise for quite a while and I can be quite impulsive and a friend said to me well hiking the Yorkshire Free Peaks which is you know a challenge <laughs> that you're meant to do in a day and she's like do you fancy coming up to Yorkshire and doing it with me and you know big social group lots of people I hadn't met and I was like yeah, that sounds good. I've never really walked up a hill. I was like, yeah, that sounds good. And I thought, oh, I've agreed to this challenge now. And there's no hills where I live. It's relatively flat. I'm in a city. How am I going to do this? And I'd taken a liking to a new gym class and 
I approached the guy who was taking that class because I felt very comfortable with him. I said, do you do personal training? I was thinking, what is my mouth saying? <laughs> why, why, why am I asking this ex-military guy? Does he offer personal training? Because I've agreed to walk a marathon, 24 miles, up three very big hills. And I haven't got the time to go out and hike. Mm-hmm. So is there anything we can do in the gym? to get me strong enough to do it and he went yes let me introduce you to the deadlift which is when I started lifting heavy things was him going here lift so there's a there's a range of activities hiking's then kind of been brought into it because I achieved this although can I just say you know when you see those photos of people celebrating at the top of the hill yeah and they're like yes I've made it to the top of the mountain (laughs) What no one tells you is the coming back down, and this is a good right. metaphor, is equally as hard. Oh, no. It's harder because you've got nothing to look forward to. Your right. legs are knackered. Right, right, a bit so, like jelly, yeah. Oh, walking down that last peak, and I was, like, in absolute bits. And, like, we walked for 45 minutes, and then there was a sign to say that the village we parked the car in was three miles away. And then we walked for another 45 minutes, and it was, like, the village is two and a half miles away and I'm like what I'm like I was like what how slow am I walking <laughs> but yeah but you, I mean you're pushing your body to a, a level of intensity aren't you that it, it it is hard really physically hard and the mind gives up before the body does at the top of the second hill I didn't want to carry on and you know in terms of mental health, I think lots of people are at that point where they think, I don't want to carry on. Mm. And you, you're looking for ways out. Now, that could be something very permanent like suicide. But, you know, your mind goes to what are the options mm. here? The top mm. of that hill, I did not want to carry on the walk. Mm. And I knew that there was a way out because we were going to be meeting a um, couple of guys that were going to give us sandwiches and have right. cars. Right. And it would have been so easy to go that's the most viable option yeah 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 but you you didn't and I met them and I thought this is my only opportunity to walk this you know this is the only opportunity to keep going forward what would happen if I carried on you know and I think so you know just thinking about this metaphor it's like you know that idea of I think there's times in our lives where we want to give up and we can't envisage a future I, I just got curious Mm. And, I, and self-compassionate that of course it's hard I'm climbing three big hills having never hiked in my entire life right. yeah yeah <laughs> uh, you know and you know we all face challenges in our life that we haven't faced before right. so in retrospect that kind of allowing myself to find it hard the self-compassion skill which I don't think I'd ever developed ever fostered came in so Mm -hmm. I suddenly kind of had this really nice mix of a really practical strategy for my mental health which was physical exercise Mm -hmm. combined with self-compassion and if you'd asked me at the time what was the point in my recovery I'd have said oh when I'd gone back to work and I had a nice routine I started going to the gym if you look at it in retrospect, in terms of when hope crept in, it was very much at the point that I developed some skills in being kind to myself. And right. that at that time wasn't intentional and it wasn't purposeful. I've since done lots of exploration and reading as to how to make that intentional and purposeful mm-hmm. because I re- recognise that it's such an important part of my own recovery. Right. So the self-compassion was the actual kind of key to making all of that really effective for you all of the kind of taking small steps and pushing yourself um doing exercise that felt stimulating and kind of challenging yourself as well but actually in the challenge in the moment where you thought I can't carry on anymore is the moment where you really meet yourself with some kindness and say and that's okay you know but what if I did you know and being curious instead of being really tough on yourself so it just shows how much your mental health had moved from where you began this story to then where it was there that you were able to be kind because it's really hard and no one teaches us how to do it no one says you know this is 
how to support yourself. It's something we have to figure out by it not going well and then realizing we've got to try something else. So that's just such an incredible process that you went through there in terms of feeling very hopeless or numbed out potentially and then beginning to realize that there was something that maybe you should look at but not being sure how and then some of the conventional ways that people might choose like counseling you know they don't work for everybody it's not right for everyone and it didn't help you it went it took you into those emotions but didn't help you to process them and that's a risk there but then what did help was these activities that you had no expectation of and yet they turned out to be something really special where you were given this space for transformation that really really supported you and then through that found self-compassion and then hope through that yes yeah wow it's a really amazing journey when you start to put all of the puzzle pieces of that together it's really incredible to listen to so tell us about where you are now and where this has taken you now so I always had a very clear idea about my career and what I wanted mm-hmm. to do and be and I'd very much orchestrated by, by the time I'm 30 I'm going to be a manager in a medium secure hospital and okay. that's just the career path I'd kind of established for myself mm-hmm. and gone along very blindly towards like hurdling towards it and this experience kind of made me key into what are my values what is it that I want and I'd ended up in this management position and noticed that I was starting to not feel okay not quite admitting it to myself but very much kind of aware that I was starting to not feel good about my job again Mm -hmm. and not being effective and some of those thoughts had crept in and from that I had a complete redesign and it was just like the universe had gone here's a job so I ended up completely changing and working in student mental health because I just stumbled across a job that sounded ideal and in line with my values I was Mm. working one-to-one with people I was looking creatively at how students could improve their well-being and Mm. I got very frustrated that my job was I'm an occupational therapist we're used to kind of being alongside people as they face these challenges Mm. and in this job people would come to me sit in an office and tell me all the things they couldn't do and if they could verbally express the barriers we'd try and unpick them but Mm -hmm. it was down to whether they had the capabilities of then translating that into action the real world yeah in the real world Mm. so I was getting frustrated with that and I started to formulate this idea of as occupational therapists we go out and we kind of can perform activities with people breaking down these barriers enabling them to do things and I knew how powerful exercise had been for me and that I'd been lucky enough that I've never particularly had a bad body image so I didn't mind going into a gym and feeling Mm -hmm. self-conscious I Mm -hmm. didn't have some of the barriers some people face in terms of worrying what people are going to think Mm -hmm. of me whilst I'm there and I thought this is a really powerful intervention but how often are people actually being enabled to move their bodies and get active if you've got the capability of doing it and it was that easy you'd have done it already and there's so many people that know all this health advice and can't implement it so this little idea formed around wouldn't it be good if I could support people through kind of getting back in touch with their bodies and enabling Mm -hmm. them to be active and feel safe and secure in their bodies through Mm -hmm. movement Mm -hmm. and the problem with me is when I get an idea in my head I kind of tend to jump on it quite quickly (laughs) with it with it in kind of going that'd be a good idea and talking to one friend who egged me on Mm -hmm. (laughs) very quickly and went that's a brilliant idea Um, I suddenly found myself ringing up uh, a provider of training for personal trainers and saying I need to get a personal training qualification what do I need to do it and she's like right you need to do a level two which we do over a number of weekends and then you get your level three personal training and I was like right when's your next level two course 
in a she's like it's in a week but we send out the book and you're meant to read it I was like oh I'm a health professional if it's anatomy I'll be fine <laughs> so, just, so this book arrives pretty much the day of the course I right. woke up on the Saturday do it show up the next Saturday do the practical get my level two then I'm like right when can I start my level three <laughs> so within the space of about eight weeks I get these qualifications and then I'm going to pop right got this business idea and I'm still working full-time at this point and I'm like right I'm going to start offering out my services and Mm -hmm. I thought I'd have clients I was going to aim at people who had really poor mental health and help them engage in physical activity so I've assumed that potentially be men who weren't comfortable with talking therapies And I put the word out there amongst just my friends and my local network around, this is what I'm doing as a bit of a side hustle. If you know anyone that would benefit, let me know. And I got a small group of women who had been predominantly successful, in fact, doing well in their careers. And then they'd hit their 40s or early 50s and had suddenly stopped flourishing and had been diagnosed with anxiety or depression and they were like most of them came with I want to lose weight and I'm very much a health at any Mm. any size sort of person I'm like okay talk to me about the health behaviors talk to me about what losing weight is associated with it wasn't necessarily the client base you were imagining at all it ended up being totally different how interesting and what transpired was all these women are experiencing menopause <laughs> symptoms right. or perimenopause. Right. And I was like, I then kind of went on my feminist high horse. I didn't know much about menopause. How as a woman in my late 30s do I not know about mm. menopause? Why are people not talking about it? So right. I do the research, I do the reading. The chance came for me to slightly change jobs and work four days a week. And by this point, I had quite a nice little client base. So I was like, oh, I can do this four days. So this side hustle was suddenly building up. I suddenly had a name, a brand. And I was going to my partner who works in IT. Can you build me a website? And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, can you build me a website? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he went away for a weekend. And I was like, oh, it can't be that hard. He came back from the weekend. And I was like, look what I've done. I made myself a website. And he went, I thought I was helping you with that. And I went, I got, I got bored waiting for right, you. Right. So I, I, create, I created Move Lifter, which is very much around enabling anyone to flourish. So anyone that isn't feeling safe in their body, anyone that's not feeling good about themselves. And two years ago, I got made redundant and it was a really awful process but it just shows where my mental health was that I was feeling okay I really I felt really well with the Mm. challenge of redundancy Mm. but I did get drunk in the pub and sit there with my partner and went I don't want to work for the man (laughs) (laughs) got really attitudey and he just looked at me and went Sarah you've got your own business you don't need to work Mm. for the man and then I think that was the light bulb moment of what I created. There was enough people out there who need mood That's lifter, who need mm. to be able to find ways of feeling good about themselves, developing confidence, finding strategies for managing the stresses or the traumas that they've experienced. Mm. That's amazing. So this has taken you in this full circle from oh, yeah. your recovery what supported you to recover to then becoming your passion and purpose and how you support other people. So you've come around in this full circle to it now being, you know, what you want to get up and do every day, which just is incredible. And then I don't know about you, but what I find is that obviously art therapy is one of the things that does that for me. And I find that then through supporting other people, you are reimbursing that support for yourself like you're continually replenishing that um support for yourself as well through through what you're doing and it's mutual there's been times I've kind of had a conversation with a client and 
I am really compassionate, but sometimes being compassionate involves kind of saying what's there and, you know, being really up for it. And I remember talking to one client, kind of being really stern with them about what was going on. And I'm like, you know what? I've just realised I'm talking to myself as well at the moment. Right, so that's where some of the sternness comes from. And, you know, having that shared experience acknowledging Mm. sometimes this is hard to do. Mm. Yes. Yes, it is. And it, it, you know, our mental health, I feel like is, is one of the biggest challenges of our life is keeping ourselves well mentally. And it's one that we are not prepared for by our society or our education system. It's one that we have to figure out ourselves. And actually, there are so many amazing ways to support yourself. And I've, I've really loved what you've shared today, because it's really simple but really impactful, really effective and something that anybody can kind of pick up the idea of walking to the letterbox and back, you know, anyone can pick up the idea of slightly challenging yourself because then you know that your body is capable and you are resilient and you can recover from things that are difficult. And then that outside also mirroring what's going on inside as well, which is awesome. So thank you so much. What is the best way for people to get in touch with you? If they want to connect up with you and they're interested after hearing your amazing story, how can they do that? So I am on all the usual social medias. Mm-hmm. It's on social media, it's Moodlifter PT, so Moodlifter okay. Personal Trainer. I'm not particularly proactive at posting stuff up on there, but I'm always kind of, I get the notification. So if you want to reach out to me that way, I'm there. My website is www.moodlifter.co.uk and that's where you can find out all the different things that I'm offering, even at times when we're in lockdown. It's been amazing how much modern technology has enabled us to kind of carry on and function and do things. Yeah, yeah. This podcast as an example of just that. (laughs) So, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well... Thank you. Is there anything else? And there may not be, but was there anything else and you felt like you really wanted to share or you wanted to end with? No, I think it's just kind of that message of it's okay to find it hard. Yes. And it's okay to kind of recognize if you've identified these rules for yourself about what you can and can't do and thinking that you're very stuck and very fixed because Mm -hmm. you can actually grow from that point and things can change. Yes. From that point. And it's and being able to let go of this tug of war that you're in thinking that if I do something differently this is going to consume me you know mm-hmm. it doesn't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can try it and you can change your mind yeah. and that's totally okay yeah I love that thank you so much Sarah I really appreciate it thank you for your time it's thank you brilliant. so much for letting me talk thank you Sarah has such a wealth of knowledge and expertise. I'm so grateful to her for everything that she's shared today. I'm also really interested in this alternative narrative about finding ways to support our mental health that doesn't always follow the normal structure of potentially going to get medication from the doctor or for structured therapy because as I mentioned in the episode today, it's not always the best route for everybody sometimes it is the perfect route but sometimes there are other routes which are the right thing for each person in that moment so I'm really interested in the alternative narrative coming from the point of view of someone who works in mental health and has such a wealth of knowledge that Sarah has I really hope you've enjoyed today's episode remember you can follow us on apple podcasts or on your own podcast app and you can leave us a review there and let us know what you've enjoyed and what you'd like to hear more of otherwise take really good care of yourself and you'll hear from me soon